This week we continue our sermon series as we look at the heart of Lent and some of these attributes that we consider when we think about the Lenten season, the clearest of which are always shown a little bit in King David, but then ultimately in our Savior Christ. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, February 28th, 2016. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We're continuing our series, The Heart of Lent. Lent is one of my favorite times of year. I really do enjoy Christmas. I'm not going to say I'm I'm so holy that I only love Lent, but uh, I love Christmas in the the attribute of Christmas of giving and generosity. Lent has a different set of attributes that we talked about. It has the idea of repentance. We touched on that. We talked about sacrifice is one of the things we look at at Lent. And today we're going to be talking about humility. And the way that we've been doing this, if you haven't been here uh, each of the weeks, is we're looking. So we made this artwork, and that was intentional. I haven't explained it yet. But we've been looking at King David. Life's a lot easier if you have stories. And rather than just say, hey, here's some stories from my own life. Mine aren't that great. Uh, But King David's are pretty awesome. So we're telling stories from the life of King David, one of the biggest, uh, the heroes of the Old Testament. And so that's what is representative by the crown over on the right side. So see, that's supposed to be King David if you didn't see that. And then the left side, ultimately, though, if we're going to talk about any attribute, uh, holiness or humility or repentance or sacrifice, it is most clear in Christ. So that's the crown of thorns on the right. Did, did everyone see that? Thanks. Thanks for that. So I was excited about how that went as we talk about humility, that somehow that just turned out. I was pretty excited about it, whoever made that. So, no, so we're, we're talking about humility, and humility is like one of the most difficult things. And the way that we're going to talk about humility is we're going to tell two stories, which are from the Bible, the two first kings that we have of Israel. So these are the, the first kings that they have. And, and if you're a king, I'm guessing, unless you're a lousy king, unless you're like Burger King, you're going to be really excited and feel like you, you are something, right? So I think that's why it's good examples to pick them versus some other examples. So the first one, and the, the story went like this, God is the king of the people of Israel for a long, long time. So just, just some dates. We have Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. That's around 2,000. So then 1,500 is Moses. And they don't have their first king till about 1,000, roughly. I mean, just for, so they're 500 years without a king. And during that time, it's known as a theocracy. And if you, you can imagine what Thaos is, that's God. So it's a, a God-run government, which would I think that would be pretty good, right? If God's running your government, I think that's ideal. Um, They talk about having a benevolent dictator. You can't get better than God running the show. Well, the people, they weren't super pumped about it. In fact, they were totally disobedient. And it's during that time from about uh, Moses, they run into the judges, and there's some famous judges. One would be the most famous of the judges, Samson. And then uh, probably second famous would be Deborah. She was the only female judge. So Deborah helped lead the people. And then the third judge that's pretty relatively famous, but you probably don't think of him as a judge because he had a second job as a prophet, would be Samuel. So Samuel's got an awesome story. We'll tell that story a different day. So during that period that's going up and down, and the people get madder and madder, and they look around, and they see all the other nations, and they said, hey, you know what we're missing? God would say, listening. But they said, you know what we're missing? We're missing a king. So that's what we want. So imagine you're a dad. And your son on Father's Day writes you this note, I want a new dad, love Billy, all right? So this would, how would you feel as a dad? I was going to say mom, but there's probably no kid that wants a new mom, I don't think. That'd be really rare. A teenage girl maybe, but no boy when he's young would say, I want a new mom. But 
here we run into a new dad. How would you feel as a dad? Not super pumped, right? I mean, not real excited about it. I, I think this would probably be a little extreme. I think it's closer when you're talking about the people of Israel is if you were a decent athlete or something and your dad was your coach, like for softball or tennis or whatever, at some point, if you get good enough, one is going to ceiling out. You're, either the coach is good enough and the, the student never gets so much that they pass the coach or, which sometimes happens with elite athletes who are coached by their parents, the, the athlete's better and they have to say at some point, hey, I love you, you're an awesome dad, I need a new coach. So that's kind of how it is. So the, the people of Israel, right, is to talk to Samuel and they say, tell God, we kind of want a new king. And what's amazing is God says, all right, I'll give you a king if that's what you want. So if you're, just imagine you're the people of Israel and you want a new king, what kind of person would you be looking for in your, your kind of king person? Think of some attributes that you'd want in a king. Like good leader, right? You want them to, to be uh, someone that people would follow. They, they talk about that. They, they have loose things that say that person's a good leader. And then sometimes they say a leader of men. So I think if you're in the military, there's people that were probably decent leaders. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't have the respect of like the company or a group of people. There's some people who just somehow generate that respect that they can lead like men into battle or they can lead them into sports and they can do things like that. The guy that God picks, Saul, seems to be something like that. He's a head taller than everyone else. And here's the story as we get it from Samuel. So Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And they're all ready to go. Like, you want a new king? We're at this, we're at this get-together. God says, I brought you Israel up out of Egypt. He's just reminding them, uh, you're replacing me, but just let me know. I'll just let you know my track record. I brought you up out of Egypt, remember, with miracles. And I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But now you have rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. Are you still thinking this is a good idea? And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. So they do. They line up by groups. You're kind of doing that right now. You're lined up by clan. I think that's because you're sitting by your family. That's, that's the, I'll just keep reading. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So they would like pull straws, something like that, or pull stones most likely. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. So can you imagine being the one, you know, like they're identifying who is going to be the next leader, the first leader of this whole thing. This is the deal, and then you're, it goes down by down and down and down, and suddenly you're the person. I think it'd be kind of hard to be kind of humble in that situation, wouldn't you think? So we'll talk back, we'll come back to Saul. What, humility, I think, as we talk about it, is really a difficult thing. I thought, this is super easy. How would you explain to a kid what humility is? I tried, and obviously I didn't do super awesome. But how would you explain what humility is to a kid? I mean, the easiest is to say you shouldn't brag, right? And th- I think that's the easiest one. So that works as long as you have nothing to brag about. And and that's why I use the example of my artistic work. I'm very humble, and I do not brag about my golf skills because I'm a terrible golfer. And I should be good, but I'm just terrible. Um, I'm not a very good landscaper, so I don't brag about that. I'm not a very good cook. I'm more of a grill servant than a grill master, so I'm not very good at that. And you know, like the, the list could go on and on and on, and you're not going to call me up and, and say, hey, what about this? And I'd be like, well... So I think that's easy. So what is humility, though? Is humility just not bragging? 
Does that mean you're a humble person if you just don't brag? Or is humility like when you stand in front of a camera and you're on a team and they say, hey, it's not 11 on 11, and then you say, you know, every other sentence. You know, it's not 11 on 11, you know, um, we got a, we got a whole team out there, you know, and it's five on five. It's not one against 11, they always say. They say the same trite things again and again and again. Does that mean you're humble? Like if Peyton Manning steps forward and says, hey, I had negative 52 yards and we still won, I think. <laughs> you know, right? Like what do you, what do you, what's humble? So it's not just not bragging, I don't think. It's not being humble. The Bible, when it describes it, says this, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider, and not your own lips. So does that mean you just work and work and work, hoping that someone else will notice what you've done? Does that mean you're humble? Well, it's really easy, like I said, if you're not very good at stuff. But I'm guessing that most of you are pretty good at some things, which I think awareness starts to come into humility. So awareness, it works like this. Most of you are pretty good at something. If you have a job, I'm guessing you're pretty good at your job, right? I mean, otherwise you wouldn't have the job, I'm guessing. So you're probably pretty good at your job. And if, you, if they would ask like a super secret poll and you weren't just being like false humility, they'd say like, who's the best at your job at your work? I think some of you would just kind of be like, well, this is anonymous. And you'd write your own name down, right? I'm the best pastor of this church. I mean, I feel confident of that, right? So you got certain things that you, you are pretty good at. So then what do you do if you're really good at it? Here's the tricky thing. Uh, if you're actually good at something, it's, it's a little bit harder to be humble because other people are going to start recognizing you. You're going to hear from other people's lips that you're good. So let's just say you're the best salesperson on your team, and they say, hey, you are the best salesperson on your team. So then what do you do? It's really easy to get a big head unless... This is what I my guess is. If you're good at stuff, that you are aware that there's other people who are really good at what you do. So if you're good at sports, or if you're a good photographer, or you're a good accountant, you're a good doctor, you're well aware, if you're not the best in the world, there are people who are better at what you do than you do. Like, you're good at numbers, and then you go meet someone, and then they're a freak at numbers. So this happens to me. So I feel like, hey, I'm the strongest person who works out in my basement. And so then I went to a real gym, right? And I feel pretty good depending on the classes. You know, I'm going against the other stay-at-home moms and stuff. And I'm like, I'm killing it, right? You guys. And then suddenly you see some person, and I would describe like their strength and ability as ridiculous. Has that happened to you ever? Like you meet someone, you're pretty good at something, then you meet them and they're so good. So then what do I do when you're involved and you meet somebody and they're asking about something you do and they're like, oh, you're so good at that. You always have this awareness in the back of your head, right? That humbles you because you're really not the best. You're aware of that. So if you guys are really good, this is getting confusing, right? If you're really lousy at something, this is what's crazy when someone's not that good at something, they think they're good at something, you're like, oh, just look around. But if you're really good at something, you're aware of all the people who are better at it than you are. So now you're stuck in the middle that you know you're good, but you're not really, really good. That usually leads to humble bragging. This is where you secretly brag, but pretend to be humble at the same time, right? So you're like, yeah, I can't believe it. You know, I stayed up late and I still lifted 300 pounds. You know, like you ever meet someone like that? Like they just somehow double secretly, yeah, I was, a real, I was so stressed. I had all this stuff going on. I still led the team in sales. It was like, I, that's amazing. I don't know how that happened. It just like fell on me that I closed all those deals and I just killed it. Right? You ever, you ever meet someone like that? So this is someone who's aware that they're pretty good and they still want to appear kind of humble. I've got students like that. I help out with Latin. I've got more than one that is always like, oh, I didn't study and I'm going to do terrible. They get zero wrong every time every time. And so now when I grade their test, they stand next to me and I just put a zero on the top and then I grade it. And I'm like, oh, surprise. And then they're, you know, they're kind of getting it. 
they're getting it. They're not fooling me when I think they failed. So, so where does this all put us? So we don't want to humble brag, but we're some, what happens, though, if you really are, like, just even above average? I mean, just think of, like, David. I'm guessing that some of you are really good at stuff, not just, like, good enough that your friend notices, but I think you're recognized outside your circle of friends. You're recognized outside of your family. You're recognized maybe nationally on some stuff, regionally. People, like your name gets put up in pictures. When they talk about successors to jobs, your stuff comes up. I'm guessing you're like that. So what do you do if you're actually good at something? How do you stay humble then? I think we could look at the life of David, and I think this would be a good example to do it. So King David, just to put it in perspective, Saul often looked to himself, but King David, I can just tell you his story. We'll just hit highlights. While he's a shepherd boy, God comes to him and anoints him the next king. Now imagine at your company, or wherever you're at, the, not just, we're not going to say president of the United States, that seems a little, but just think of your company or maybe your region. They say, you know what? You know what name's getting kicked around? Your name to be the next person. How does that make you feel? And if you're actually good at what you do, it's not a su- super surprise. I mean, you'd actually be mad if your name didn't get kicked around. But, you're, you know, it's kicking around. But then the CEO comes to you, and so the founder of the company, and says, you know what? You are next in line to take over my spot. That's what happened to David. God has come to him while there's still a king in place and says, you know what? You're the next king. He anoints him in front of his brothers, which is like, if you want to tell he's still a kid. It's like, I bet he's saying to God, God, why couldn't you wait? until I was stronger, because I bet he's just getting beat on all the time, like, how about you like that, king boy? You know, like, I just, I just imagine, he's like, just wait, just wait, I'll be king. So, he, that happens, and then while you're still a young man, you're, you're not even old enough to fight in the battle, and then we just talked about Goliath last week. How, how, how do you stay a humble person when you go against the biggest person you can ever imagine, like eight feet tall and huge, and he has 125 pounds of armor, and you take him down? Like, how, does you, how do you just kind of stay humble in that situation? So you're the next king. You just took out the greatest warrior. When they sang in the streets, you know the song they sang? They said Saul, that big tall guy that was king. He's killed his thousands, but David, ten thousands. Like they had a song about him. Uh, <laughs> I have no songs about me. Right? I, maybe you have songs about you, but you're so humble that you've not shared them. Right? So, so you have this. So that's the situation. He now leads, um, he becomes the king of all of Israel. All this stuff is going on. How do you stay humble? There's a couple things. God even tells him on his last day that I have chosen you. You are this special thing. How do you stay humble? Number one is you recognize that we're prideful people. I think if you want to step forward and realize an idea of humility, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to think less and less and less. This is from Mere Christianity, the book. He said, we will not be thinking about humility. He will. Talking about how do you get rid of pride. He will not be thinking of himself at all. If anyone, um, that's not a mistake in the book, it's a mistake, the person who typed it in, would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step is the first step is to realize that one is proud. We are so proudful, prideful, right? How, even if you don't talk about it to anyone else, in our own minds we think the world revolves around ourselves and i heard a pastor describe it like this we're the main actor and everyone else just has bit parts if you'd be really honest with yourself and god says what do you think because i can read your mind i think we'd say i'm pretty important and i'm all that and this is the thoughts that go through your head the sense of pride the sense that i am something 
So, mixed with that and this prideful thing, in fact, a non-Christian person, Benjamin Franklin, I thought Owen was looking through the sheet because I had this on the other side. Um, Benjamin Franklin had 13 virtues. He said, this is what I want to do. He's not a Christian guy. He followed uh, Socrates and he followed Jesus. He just wanted to be a better person. This is a pretty remarkable guy, right? One of the founders of our country. He's never president, but he still gets on the $100 bill. So, he has these 13 virtues, and when, he, when you read about it in his biography, he says the hardest one is pride, because if you really do awesome at uh, temperance and silence and order and resolution and frugality, there we go, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, chastity, tranquility, he gets to humility, and he says in his book, you get all the way to the end, you think he had a little book where he would put marks in it. If he was doing really well, then his pride would kick in. He'd be like, wow, I'm doing really well. Oh. They just get stuck. So this is really one of the most difficult things to exhibit. So what, look at this guy. He did everything well except rock that haircut. I think that's, <laughs> there's no mirrors back in the 1700s or whenever he lived. Um, that's the original Terry Bradshaw haircut. Right there. The, uh, pride is so, so difficult. And here's what David did to recognize. If you want to say, I'm really good at something, I think the first step is to recognize I'm a prideful human being. You lay that before the Lord and say, help me be humble. But I think the reason you recognize humility is the same thing that David did. Multiple times when God came to him and said, I am going to, when the king Saul said, you will have my daughter as your wife, the first words out of his mouth are, who am I that I get to marry the king's daughter? Uh, when, When God says, your son is going to build the temple for me, his word is, who am I? Who am I that I get to do this? And I think if you want to understand a sense of humility, when you stand before God and you look at what he's given you, you say, who am I? Because we long to have people recognize our stuff. We long to have someone say, you're doing a good job. We long to be able to just say out loud what we're thinking, right? We long to be able to say, look how hard I worked and I deserve something. We long to say that to God. We long to, even as we sit before his throne, say, look at all the good things I've done. God, you should be proud of me. But then you stop and you say, who am I? I'm a prideful person that deserves nothing. And every single gift that you have, your smarts and your beauty and your leadership, your kids, your, your big picture look, your money, Every single thing comes from God. Every single, you don't deserve any of this, and yet God pours out his blessings on you, and I think you just step back in awe, don't you? And say, who am I that God would give these things to me? Part two. The story continued with David. David became a king, a magnificent king. And the story continues before that, though, with Saul, and Saul is named, and this is the story I mentioned earlier. It says, when Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot and brought forward, the tribe of Benjamin, the clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Cush, was taken, but when they looked at him, he was nowhere to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? They're looking for him, and the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. There's two kinds of humility. One is that we always think that we're better than we really are. We say, okay, God, this is my cure. I need to step back and look that everything is a gift from you and, and, and recognize that I'm a prideful person and try and live in this life of humility. So now, in that spot, 
God has given you abilities. God has given you money and time and kids. God has given you leadership abilities. He's given you the ability to be the best person on your team. God has given you abilities to be recognized outside of just your family, outside of your friends, and regionally, and some of you nationally, and maybe some of you around the world, they're calling you to say, hey, can you come and speak at this event? Can you come and talk? Because you're so good at what you do. Don't be Saul. God identified him and said, you have the abilities to be the leader of my people, and Saul goes hides in the supplies. He goes hides in the closet. Being humble doesn't mean that when opportunity comes, you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not good enough. As people come to you, it's not false humility. It's not saying, no, I can't do that. I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. I can't. Sometimes being humble is recognizing the gifts that God has given you, the things that God has called you to, these special moments that God has given you and opportunities to say, I'm giving you a chance. Here's a kid to be the best parent you can be. I'm giving you a chance to be the best employee you can be. I'm giving you a chance to be the best spouse. Here is your wife or here is your husband that you can be. I've given you a member, a group of churches. And don't pretend to be humble and say, I can't do that. Sometimes step up and say, God has given me these abilities, and I'm going to step up and try and help people. I'm going to try and do something. I'm going to use these gifts that God has given. That's not being proud. That's saying, this is just a gift that God has given me, and I want to use that to the best of my ability. There's a great quote. I don't know who said it, so I credit to pin terrorist. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I think that's where we come down to, right? The, the goal to get humble is not just to be humbled by God and say, I'm not the best. You know, there's someone who's way, way better than me. You know, just put that aside and say, God has given me abilities, and how can I use these abilities to actually make an impact on my family and my spouse and the people and my church, and then actually move outside these doors as a group of people, and how can I, how can I make the real impact, which is so then the ultimate humility, a Savior who put aside everything to go on this earth and live and die and live perfectly so that we could be with him. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we stand in awe of your humility. So often when we look at ourselves internally, we know we're prideful people. Uh, But help us to have a heart of humility that recognizes all the gifts we have come from you. And our goal is not just to think, beat ourselves up and, and look at how great everyone else is. How about we look at uh, what you have done and inspire the, whatever gifts we have and use these. Don't go hide in closets, uh, but step forward like King David and somehow with a humble heart, use the things that you've given us, the abilities you've given us, the wealth you've given us, the time you've given us, not just to, to uh, as our pride says, spend these on mine and mine and just for me, but instead let's get outside ourselves and use these abilities that you've so poured out on us to make a difference. Amen.